Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I share and explore Josh Burson's recent discussion titled, What Can We Learn From Politics? Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to be with all of you again today for this HCI podcast episode. Today, I'll be exploring and sharing Josh Burson's recent discussion titled, What Can We Learn From Politics? We just finished one of the most difficult and divisive political periods in our lives. What can we as business and HR leaders learn from this? In this podcast, we will be discussing how to deal with politics at work and also the broader issue of our own role as citizens. Josh Burson also discusses why we as business and HR leaders play an enormous role in the political and economic lives of our constituents, and I'll be sharing some of my insights along these lines as well. Thank you for joining me, and I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip. Well, here it is, 2021. We're entering a new year, and that always gives you a chance to think about things a little bit differently. And what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about politics without taking sides. I think there's a lot of lessons to learn and issues to consider in the year ahead. And the big lesson, of course, during the last four years, and of course many generations before, is that politics is the peaceful method of resolving differences. It isn't just a way to argue. Without politics, we would have civil war every time somebody disagrees with someone else. So we vote for our elected representatives. We trust that the system works. They act on our behalf. They resolve differences through compromise. And the country, the society, the institution is changed as a result. And we feel that at least our voice was heard and the cycles move in roughly the direction that most of us want. And if it goes well, the society stays at rest and the country evolves in a positive way. But it doesn't always go well, and we go through ups and downs in the process. And we just had four years of, I would consider to be downs, to be honest, but many people may disagree with me on that. But what's very clear about politics is a couple of things. First of all, people don't agree on issues. So as a business person or as a business, it's very dangerous to take sides. Uh, Although you may feel very personally responsible for certain things, if you do take sides, you may alienate a large percentage of your workforce, your customer base, or your entire stakeholder population. Now, some companies have taken side in politics, but most have tried to stay neutral except being on the side of business in general. And there is obviously often an argument that the Republicans are more business-centric than the Democrats, but I don't really believe that's true myself. So that's a consideration for you. But on the personal side, 
people will come to work and talk about these things, so we need to give them a place to discuss them and in a free and policy-driven approach so that if a disagreement rises up, people in the workforce don't bring it into their work experience. In this opening clip, Josh talks a bit about and reflects upon our political system, politics in general, and really the role of politics as being a peaceful transfer of power and an opportunity for us to compromise and find areas of compromise around complex issues. He talks about when we have uh, differences of opinion uh, and how organizations probably shouldn't be trying to take sides, though I'm not sure I completely agree with that. Um, but he, he argues that, you know, we shouldn't be trying to take sides, but he does see the role of business in politics and in creating a safe place within our organizations so that our people can come within the organization and within a safe culture, they can discuss things in a reasonable way um, without it getting heated and without uh, things derailing into name calling and uh, some of the divisive types of rhetoric that we see so commonly in the country today in our politics and in our media. And uh, really, you know, when people get together and talk about politics, a lot of times there's a lot of vitriol and it's, it's not positive. But we can establish rules and norms and create a culture where we can have civil dialogue within our organizations and where people, our, our employees can come and have a conversation around some of the most important issues in their life. To simply say that no, no politics are allowed at work is to really leave a huge portion of the individual uh, that you're negating, that you're saying you can't authentically come to the workplace and have a conversation around something that's so important to you, that touches so many different parts of your life. So it's really more a matter about how we engage in political discussion in the, in the workplace effectively and safely rather than, you know, a simple dichotomy of whether or not we, we should at all. But the bigger issue is number two, which is that we as business owners, leaders, HR professionals, supervisors, and managers are part of the political process. And that's because we are citizens. As individuals, we're citizens. As leaders, we're citizens. And as companies, we are citizens as institutions. Companies are a very, very important part of society. People come to work for our companies and vote with their lives. They spend their time with us. They give us their energy. They give us their ingenuity. And they expect a return that helps them personally, but they also expect it to be positive. So we play a role in the political sphere as a citizen of society. If income inequality or racial injustice or environmental or immigration or any other political topic impacts society, we as a business actually are a participant in that topic. Do we hire or move immigrants into roles? Do we have a diverse workforce? Do we pay people fairly? Do we believe in women and minorities in leadership? Do we take care of the environment? Do we put our facilities and locations in low-income communities to help society? Do we train people? Do we educate people? It goes on and on and on. And what I've learned over the years of growing up in the business community and as an HR analyst is that we are as impactful or more than the government in all of these topics. The business community and all of the economy of private and public companies is a massive force on society. And if we 
behave poorly, we are impacting society. And that's why there's so much backlash on some of these tech companies, these social media companies. By the way, I don't think of them as tech companies. Google and Facebook are not tech companies. They're advertising companies. They just use tech to sell advertising. You are not their customers. Advertisers are their customers. And so they are not acting on behalf of users or society in general. And I think the federal government is going to get very involved in their business as a result of that. Amazon's a little bit of a different story. There is no question the role that organizations play in and corporations, uh, both nonprofit and for-profit organizations, uh, they really can have a huge influence on the attitudes and behaviors and the politics uh, and the the political types of issues that that uh, so directly impact so many people's lives. So the question becomes, how do we approach some of these political issues in the workplace? How do we talk about some of these touchy issues? Uh, how do we talk about gender equity issues? How do we talk about environmental sustainability issues? How do we talk about all Black Lives Matter and uh, all of these different social justice types of issues? Do we take a, an organizational stand or do we try to stay neutral and, and simply allow our employees a safe place to have a, a civil dialogue? These are the types of questions that organizational leaders need to be asking themselves. Uh, and within this political climate, I think leaders have a real opportunity to model civil discourse, to model engaging um, conversation around these types of issues where it's not so divisive, where it's not so vitriolic, where people really can uh, explore issues together uh, without uh, name calling and without people jumping to conclusions about someone else's motives uh, or being demeaning or in some way uh, looking down on others for holding a different point of view. We can model this. We can, uh, through our organizations, uh, leverage our collective impact to make a huge difference in societies and in the world. Uh, now it's debatable, you know, the role of business versus the role of government in terms of shaping society and culture and those sorts of things. And that's not really the point of, of this conversation today. Uh, but there is no question that business plays a huge role and needs to step up to the plate in terms of how we try to tackle some of society's most pressing, challenging issues. And so citizenship is a theme that I believe we have to consider from the CEO on down. Now, the reason I like the word citizenship is it really connotes both internal citizenship and external. Internal means inside of the company as an institution, we need to take care of each other. Outside, it means we as an institution have to take care of society. Now, interestingly enough, we are in the middle of finishing up a massive research study on diversity and inclusion and equity. And it's actually very, very surprising what we've found. And it's probably going to be controversial. What we've come to the conclusion is that diversity in particular has been backsliding for decades. It has not gotten better. Income inequality has not gotten better. It's getting worse in the United States. The number of minorities in leadership is not 
improving. The number of black CEOs is down. And we can blame ourselves for that. We can blame society and we can blame police forces and we can blame the president. But actually, companies have not responded well and we've not stepped up. And I think we need to think, feel responsible, and to some degree, a little bit guilty about things in society that are not going well. And that goes for pay, income, diversity, racial justice, the environment, global warming, whatever you want to pick as your favorite political topic, you have much more impact on it than you realize in your company strategy, in your management strategy, and your strategy as an individual and as a supervisor. The third thing I want to talk about is the fact that the political process which we observe in the public sector which many of us find to be sort of painful to watch, actually is very illustrative of what goes on inside of our companies. Now, you know, I've been in a lot of companies myself and I do a lot of consulting. And despite the fact that many, many companies are very successful, there's a lot of noise going on inside the company. There are people that disagree. There are projects that are failing. There are people that are underperforming. There are businesses that don't achieve their potential for a variety of reasons. So you will have essentially many, many situations at work that are similar to the situations in the public sphere. There will be vested interests, people with more power than others that will make decisions on behalf of others, and sometimes they'll be accurate and sometimes they won't. And so we need a process very similar to the public process where we listen to people, we honor their opinions and perspectives, and then we use them to make collective decisions. Now, in the political world, the most successful countries have some form of collective thinking. The Norwegian and Swedish and countries in Northern Europe that have a little bit more of a socialistic attitude tend to have happier citizens. The World Happiness Study can prove that, and I can prove that to you, because human beings do thrive on social values. We do enjoy having friends. We do enjoy seeing other people be successful as well as ourselves. We like to give to other people. We feel a sense of common responsibility. So inside the company, we have exactly the same drivers that are going on outside of society. Are we listening to people? Are we doing things in a collective way? Are we embracing policies that will help everybody in the company and not only a few? And am I helping you get your job done? And are you helping me get my job done? Those are very, very big topics that go on companies all the time. And we get involved in the MHR on a very regular basis on every policy we have. If the pay policy is based on individual goals, there won't be a lot of teamwork. If managers who outperform their numbers are promoted, but they're not very good to their people, you're not going to create a culture of sharing and common growth. So many of the things we're observing in the political sphere but just take a little step back and think about how does that apply to me? I agree with Josh. I think there are many lessons for us to take from the political sphere and bring them back into the organization. Now, before we go there and have uh, that conversation, uh, again, in this clip, he starts by just talking about the important role that organizations, that businesses play in the political sphere, in society as a whole. And the collective power that we have as organizations and employees within organizations to drive change. And that is very, very true. And this, we're not just talking about uh, organizations lobbying Congress uh, for certain laws, though certainly lobbying uh, has a role. But we're talking about corporate strategies and policies and how they treat their people. Uh, these are all issues 
that have very direct impact on the lives of individuals, on communities and society as a whole, that help create the type of culture that we experience and that can directly impact public policy. And so as we think about political issues and the role of our organization and our role as leaders within our organization to drive a more healthy society and have positive impacts as a company in the world, then these, you know, these are all the types of things we need to think carefully about. We need to step up to the plate and we can't just outsource this, we, we, our, our personal responsibility and our organizational responsibility to be a global citizen, to be a good corporate citizen in our community. And so often people talk about, you know, being um, responsible uh, to and, and needing to be accountable to uh, various stakeholders, and they usually are talking about shareholders. Now, shareholders are important, but, you know, a lot of the, the corporate social responsibility movement in recent years and the triple bottom line has been focusing on other really key constituencies and other key stakeholders that also have a vested interest in how corporations run and their policies and practices, how they interact with the environment, how they treat their people. These are all the types of things that we have to be thinking about. And we can't just leave it up to government to tell us how to treat our people. We have to treat them well with dignity and respect. And we have to uh, create a safe environment. And ultimately, organizations are going to do a lot to shape these types of issues in American society in, uh, and throughout the globe. Now, as we're thinking more specifically, uh, as he was discussing at the tail end of, of that uh, clip, we definitely want, uh, as we move forward in thinking about corporate citizenship, uh, very specific things around employee engagement and satisfaction, inclusivity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, and really how do we treat our people? Are we treating our people well? And whether we're a, a wealthy business or not, whether or not we have rising stock prices or not, uh, whether uh, you know we have a really strong uh, bottom line or not, uh, ultimately everything we do as an organization is built upon the collective uh, contributions of, of the people within the organization. And that means we have a responsibility to our people to treat them with dignity and respect and to make sure that they are well taken care of. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership 
will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. And the final topic on bringing politics inside the company is the issue of collective versus individual decisions. I remember in one of my presentations four or five years ago, I was talking about this topic at a tech conference, and I really didn't think very many people were going to talk, but actually the room was packed. And we were talking about the relationship between purpose and mission and employee engagement and the need for collective thinking. And I was giving people a bunch of examples of different situations where collective thinking outperformed individual thinking. And at the end of the presentation, a bunch of people from IKEA came up to me, the Swedish Retailer IKEA is a, I think, a forty billion dollar company, very very successful company, and they said to me, based on the socialist attitudes from Sweden, we use collective thinking inside the company. And I said, well, how do you do that? And they said, for example, at a store or a district office that wants to change a policy for how we're going to deal with customers or inventory or marketing or whatever, we don't just get to do it. We have to go to a committee of peers, not executives, but actually line people who have to review operational decisions. And these committees are national, so they're all over the country in the United States. And they look at these policy and procedure differences and they review them as a group. And I said, well, isn't that kind of slow? And she said, yeah, it's really slow. Um, It sometimes takes months and months for us to make decisions on these things. But she said, that's actually why we're so successful because A, we get better decisions because of the process and there's more input, of course. B, although we may not make them quickly, once we make them, they're made and we quickly move into action and we don't have change management issues and we don't have adoption issues because everybody agrees. And I use them as an example of one company that uh, runs a culture Uh, If if you've ever read the competing values framework on different kinds of cultures, it's more of a clannish culture where people want to get along and they want to contribute to the greater whole. And of course, IKEA also believes in the environment and they believe in sustainable products and they believe in making the world more beautiful and more healthy and safe. So this kind of collective thinking goes through their whole culture. I think right now, because people are so tired of the political fighting and the anger and the discourse that's been going on in the public sphere, they're coming to work and they're looking for a refuge. So if your company isn't as collaborative as you'd like, if the collective thinking theme hasn't really stuck well at your company or maybe you didn't design it that way, I think in this particular year, 2021, might be a good time to think about it because we're going to be entering a tight labor market this year. I have no question that you're gonna find it harder to hire this year as the economy heats up. And so your ability to create a compelling employee experience, employment, and a positive experience is really going to be essential. And one of the ways to do that is to make sure people feel like they're being taken care of, that you're listening to them, and that they have a voice, which is exactly the problem we have in the political sphere. In this segment, he's talking about cooperative cultures and collaborative cultures, and he, and he provides the example of IKEA and the value that they place on discussion, conversation, compromise, and they work through challenging issues together in a way that some people could you know, look at it and say, oh my gosh, that just 
that would be so cumbersome that would take forever to decide on anything. Uh, and, and admittedly they, you know, people in Ikea said, yeah, yeah, it, it can take a while, but the result is that you, now you have people you've generated buy-in throughout this collaborative process. So now people, once a decision has been made, people are ready to go. They're ready to roll with the decision and to implement it. And how often in organizations do we have a leader who unilaterally makes a decision uh, and then announces and proclaims what's going to happen and expects their people to just implement, to just do it? How often do we see that? And how well does that go? One of the reasons why we say, see change happen so poorly within organizations and why so many change initiatives don't um, get implemented effectively in a sustainable way is exactly for this reason of there not being buy-in and there's not trust uh, in, in that kind of an environment where people um, aren't part of the process, where there's not open and transparent communication and where people don't have an opportunity to give their input, of course they're not going to be as bought in and of course they're not going to be as committed to whatever the decision is. And so then you end up with passive aggressive behaviors, you, you, you end up with kind of political backstabbing and undermining behaviors uh, and, and other unhealthy types of dynamics that can occur um, in a hundred different ways that short circuit the change, that short circuit the initiative and decisions don't end up getting implemented effectively. So we, we can counterbalance that. Does that mean we have to do it the way Ikea does? No. But the answer here uh, is simply to take you know a page out of their book and to recognize the principle of collaboration, of compromise, of generating buy-in and making sure that people have a voice in the process. Just like we do in a political system, this is a good lesson uh, for the workplace that we can allow voice, we can help them feel heard, that we can involve them and help them feel part of the decision making. One more final point while I'm thinking about it. We spent a lot of time last year talking to hundreds of you about the pandemic response and well-being and leadership and learning and growth and careers and job mobility and workforce transformation. Many of you went through enormous amounts of work on all of those topics. And we did a series of research studies, and we're doing a lot of research now. And in every single study we did on pandemic response, the one we just are finishing on DEI, another one we did on employee experience, what we found is that among the many, many practices and ideas and innovations that companies are doing, the one that keeps scoring the highest as having the most impact of all is listening. And it sounds silly to even say that. But what we're, what we're basically learning is that only by listening will you understand what the right solution is. Yes, you as a leader might be very, very smart and very experienced and have all sorts of perspective on what the right answer may be, but you don't know what you don't know. And so this humility of accepting the fact that the answer may not be clear and that we need to get other people involved and that we will listen and we will hear and we will pay attention and we will respond to people's input is really essential to the year ahead. I'm guessing that listening doesn't actually sound silly to anyone listening to this podcast because we all recognize the importance of effective listening. And as he's, again, drawing um, parallels between the political process and the political system and how things happen within organizations and lessons that we can take away, you know, the, the whole aspect of listening is, of course, going to be essential. 
just like in the previous segment where he talked about compromise and he talked about collaboration and giving employees voice, that only is as, is as effective as we are as listeners. And I think we've all been a part of meetings where, you know, a leader asks a question, um, presumably because they want people to speak up and they want someone, you know, to, to give their opinion. And, but we, we recognize very quickly that they're not actually listening to what we have to say. They have already predetermined what their decision will be. And they're just going through the, the, the charade, making a show of listening when they're not actually listening. Uh, I've, I've been involved in so many meetings like that with so many leaders who have done that. And so listening as an act, as an action is, is, not enough. Like we truly have to authentically be with people and listen without agenda to their perspective. And the best politicians do that uh, within the political sphere and within an organization, the leaders do that. They truly authentically listen. They want to learn. They want to know and understand so that they can both uh, show compassion and, and empathy, but also so they can really understand uh, the best approach forward. And the, the best leaders recognize they, they have intellectual humility and they know that they don't have all the answers. They can only come up with good solutions as they reach out to talk to and listen effectively, uh, actively listen uh, with with real intent to understand. Only then are they going to have all the information they need to make better decisions. More diverse groups lead to better decision-making when we can engage them in meaningful ways. This is true in the political sphere, uh, throughout different segments of society. It's certainly true within organizations, and there's so much research to back that up. It's interesting, in some of the books I've been reading about this year on epidemiology and response to the virus, a lot of senior public health officers talk about humility as a core strength of public health leaders because these viruses are unpredictable and no one knows how they work. So you have to always be open-minded to some piece of information that you didn't expect. And that's basically the way business works. We are building and running and growing institutions and companies and large organizations that are, in a sense, combinations and collections of human beings with many, many different perspectives, many coming from customers and their own personal experiences inside of the company. That's basically what societies do. That's what political systems do. If you're able to harness that information and hear it in some coherent fashion, you will be an enduring company. You will grow. You will adapt. You will thrive during difficult times. And you will outperform your peers during good times. If you don't listen, you know, you're kind of taking your chances. Yes, maybe you have a brilliant CEO or a brilliant head of tech or a brilliant head of research, and maybe that person really does hit it out of the park every time they come to bat. But I guarantee you there's things they're not hearing or paying attention to. And this goes back to really the principles of great design, the principles of great management and great leadership, finding a way to listen and understand and pay attention to the data and the information and the signals coming from your employees, who, by the way, are reflecting what they're hearing from your customers and supply chain partners. That is one of the most important things to do. So we need to practice and develop humility within ourselves, recognize that we don't have all the answers, actively, truly listen to those that we're working with, involve them in the communication process in a transparent way to generate buy-in, really, truly listen to them. That's really what 
uh, you know, the, the political system is all about when it's working effectively, when it's not all divisive, when it's not um, devolving into uh, these uh, dogmatic kinds of uh, perspectives on, on various ends of a continuum, but rather where we really truly have an opportunity to learn from each other, to understand where each other is coming from, and then compromise and find approaches that can help everybody help help everyone be treated with dignity and respect and and ultimately guide society in a in a healthy manner that's what we want in the larger political system and that's certainly what we want within organizations as well so i i really do appreciate all of the insights that josh burson provides um throughout his commentary and uh i i think not only is it important for us to reflect on our political system and how dysfunctional it has been in recent years, uh, we need to heal, we need to, we need to do better, and we need to hold our leaders accountable um, for the dysfunction uh, and make sure that we're doing our part in voting and, and being in, engaged in the pol- political process. But also within our organizations, we can take lessons from politics and from the political system, we can engage our uh, organization in healthy ways in the political process, in making a a positive social impact in society. And we can create a safe space for our our people to speak up, to to share, uh, to be able to voice their opinions, and to involve them in the difficult, challenging issues facing the organization as you create strategies and uh, implement policies, practices, and procedures that will impact the daily lives of your people, but also your consumers and the, com- the community at large. Uh, I really do appreciate this perspective. I think it's, it's helpful for all of us to self-reflect and consider our own involvement in politics, uh, both uh, externally in society at large, as well as uh, within our organizations. I think we can all do better and we can step up to the plate and make sure that uh, that we're making a positive influence and having a broader social impact in the world uh, to create positive change for, for our future. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. As always, I hope you stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and I hope you have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.